Hey there, welcome back. I sat down with John Reese a couple weeks ago and recorded this podcast at a coffee shop in Kennedy Town, Hong Kong called Waffling Beans. The people there are really nice to let us use the space, but unfortunately the sound isn't amazing. That aside, we had a really good conversation and he brought about 20 different books with him to discuss and reference in our conversation. I'll put those in the show notes, so if you want to check any of them out, you can. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, welcome back to Talk Talk. I'm your host, Emily Osan, and I'm here today with Mr. John Reese, teacher of human technologies, TOK and Ivy English. Yep. And we're here to talk about title, which prompt is it, 23? Number 23, I think. Prompt 23 yeah. for the exhibition. How important are material tools in the production or acquisition of knowledge? So as we just kick it off, I'm just curious what drew you to this question? Why did you want to talk about it? Right. Well, I think that um, I, I probably subconsciously picked this one after this week. I, I saw a BBC feature article, a video feature article, and it's the, the earliest recorded uh, sentence in any alphabet. And it's a Canaanite sentence, I think, and they found it on a, uh, a comb in a burial site somewhere uh, excavating the ancient city of Judea, oh. uh, close to Jerusalem, I think. And it's, it, it says something on it like, I, you know, I made a bearer of this comb be free of headlights or something like that. A really strange, obscure one. It's a, it's a, a very, as you could imagine, a very basic, like pre-Egyptian hieroglyph uh, language. But um, some experts were able to decode that sentence, and so that's the the, the comb itself as a material technology. And it, it got me thinking. I think along the lines of Yuval Noah Harari and his work. Uh, I've I've got the graphic graphic novel graphic. Uh, companion to sapiens yeah. uh, looking at the pillars of civilization so i thought i thought about going back way back way back and looking at the role of material tools and the foundations of civilization and then we might trace that up to uh modern age including this, the computer and speakers that we're talking into today so yeah i fascinating question i to be honest with you when i've read this question in the past i find it strange that they have this word material tools I wondered what you thought about that, the word material in the sentence. Is it is it specific to like a physicality that the object has? So as in, it's not a metaphorical tool or it's not a conceptual tool, but it's a physical tool. Or do you understand it in a different way? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I, I would, you know, of course, with TOK, be careful about grabbing onto an interpretation of a word with, with both hands and just working with that. But like, I think... I would define define it as that against other kinds of tools and material, tangible. You know, you can you can reach out and touch it. They, we're, we're on a street having a coffee in Kennedy Town, aren't we? And yeah. You've got your glass uh, tea vessel and pouring it into your ceramic cup, and I've got a series of books as my prop uh, props. And, and so I'd be thinking about material uh, tools or technologies as those those physical things that we could have and. The, our cavemen, prehistoric ancestors, using those rudimentary tools, first of all, to, to create the, the, the flint that is the spearhead or the axe head, or that might become the, the painting tool that uh, mixes the paints and uh, are the first records of communication of our species. 
So, yeah, I think, and I think then taking a, a hyper speed warp into the, the 21st century, we could look at material technologies such as the CERN reactor and the James Webb telescope that oh, revealed yeah. more and more areas of yeah. um, knowledge in, in physics. Yeah. Oh, you've said so many things. Let's go back. Um, so you mentioned in your in our first conversations, we were talking about the authors and the influences that had originally inspired you with this question. One of them was Sapiens. Mm. Um, that one I also have read, I think out of all of the books that you, you've mentioned, that quite familiar. Many probably of our listeners will have read that. It's quite a popular book. And I think the founding or like the kind of thrust of that book is about the, the development of tools like if you had these things you were ready similar similar to like uh guns germ steel right uh, yes the the first that had those were kind of the first to get ahead therefore had the advantage right okay. um yeah what what resonated with you about that well i i so haven't opened that for a little while but i i think Recently, I had uh, Jessie Tu, she's a Chinese teacher, and she came into a theory of knowledge class, we're looking at language. And so I, I think a lot of the links I'll make today are about the role of uh, language and knowledge and then how material technologies, it kind of, they go round and round and reinforce each other. And and the trajectories of both are mutual, mutually dependent. But uh, Jessie was uh, explaining that the foundations of the Chinese language uh, the, the word for mouth is mm. uh, depicted as a, an open mouth, which mm. is simplified to a square. Yeah. And that there are, there are in a, a pictorial language like that, it is really a, as a symbolic pictorial language. And that, that's one of the oldest words, apparently, that, they, mm. that was written. And presumably back then, it would have been written, maybe what, etched on a, a mud brick? Yeah. Or, or etched into a stone. And so for that, you'd need a really sturdy uh, rock, stone, flint implement. Yeah. And so the earliest, and it's like the Canaanite language, if, if your listeners just do a quick BBC uh, feature article search for uh, Canaanite mm. comb, earliest alphabet, full, full sentence. Yeah. And uh, as I suppose, as language evolved, the tools that were produced to like, we can think about a quill uh, mm. with a sharpened point of a, a bird's uh, feather mm. and then a, a fountain pen, like a really nice stylus like that. Uh, the, the, the tools and technologies have become more and more refined as civilizations advance. And yeah, that, so that, that, that also made me think about, well, before this Canaanite comb, where, where the earliest records of language are, seem to be from that, uh, is it called the Golden Horn region, like Mesopotamia, mm, yeah. Sumerian language, and it's, it's records of transactions and currency. Yeah. So I think a lot of the tools of, uh, the tools that we might talk about help contribute, and the, the central role of the economy uh, yeah. and, and currency, so these physical, uh, symbolic, contracts uh oaths bonds to say that you know uh emily on this date came to market with 20 bushels of corn and <laughs> here is a record of that but of course that that's very heavy so 
currency money itself is an example of material tool which yeah. has evolved and become lighter and uh, paper notes as well so uh, this idea of a promise a conceptual linguistic mm. shared upon um i think you all know Noah Harari might call it is it a shared dream or a shared imagined order was that it no yeah an imagined order like if if i alone stop believing in this it has no impact on me yeah. but if we all we all have to believe in the power of money so it's a, yeah it's a shared for belief it to have, yeah where, where, whereas we might say in tok we're often looking for evidence yeah and evidence in the sciences would be like uh, in, empirical evidence but actually a lot of our knowledge can be about beliefs mm -hmm. uh, which are shared conceptual shared conceptual values yeah. so I, th I think money is a money is a pretty good one if i was to do a tok exhibition yeah looking at money and you could have Absolutely. three different examples for that and now we live in a, a digital currency era where it's, it's very <laughs> or yeah it's incredible like yanis varafukis in a uh, techno feudalism he refers to the this process of uh and oh yeah he's got another book how i how i talk about capitalism to my 12 year old daughter saying that it is the case now that the there is no money there is no gold in your account yeah that, that's a shared fiction as well yeah and the the banking the bankers will just decide to arbitrarily put on another couple of zeros to your digital account it doesn't exist it's yeah. not there it's an illusion uh but but we we believe in that and it's the foundation of the global everything capitalist society that we live in but i mean okay that's all really important into our, in terms of our world and the functioning of our world, but really important in the prompt is how it's, how important are they in the production of acquisition of knowledge? So not just enough for a student to bring in and talk about, um, obviously there's like a connection, but there needs to be a more direct link, right? Like how does that belief in a currency impact like that, the currency as a tool, a material yeah. tool how does that shared belief impact our what we what knowledge gets produced and what how we acquire that knowledge so i think that's a bit of a, a challenge what i i, I kind of think when i think about this question i think a lot about something like the microscope or yeah 3d printing or yeah like, telescope yeah, printing press any of these tools like now when we um want to produce when an architect wants to um design something they're arguably using their knowledge to produce that thing right yeah uh, they're not actually again it's tricky right they're not actually producing knowledge they're producing a thing this is kind of where i get tripped well, up something yeah, like a question a, a like product that. An object yeah. like that so um the, the, the production of knowledge so you could look at something like the printing press which that 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 is a pr a productive yeah. it's, it's uh within the industrial well i guess it predates the industrial era actually but it allowed the the much wider acquisition it was a it was a quantum leap forward because of the, the spread of knowledge which was held in uh i don't know very elite very privileged circles and now you could propagate uh, uh knowledge so you could acquire knowledge by reading a book um but to produce knowledge I mean it has a connotation more about discovery about yeah so that's what it might 
um, something like that's quite quite um, Le Leventhal's first microscope. He was able to look and see the little animalcules, right? And that then produced something that the world didn't know before. Mm -hmm. And people thought it was a bit nuts, but then other people started doing that and figuring out how to make that microscope. So then they could also say, see these little things, which they called cells. Right. And now we have this knowledge about that. So obviously in that case, that's a really good example of an extremely important tool in the production of knowledge about cellular biology. Mm -hmm. Invented an entire new realm and then impacted the development of that entire field. Right. Yeah. Right. I think that's a that's I think money would be a similar thing. You really could a coin or something like that would be an interesting object to discuss in an exhibition. I don't want right. to hear oh, this. There's, there's the, okay, so linking linking yeah. money, uh, knowledge and power. So Yanis Varoufakis, he was the the, uh, the Greek finance minister, uh, and he had to deal with the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis, um, where all, all the banks were collapsing around the world, but. In techno-feudalism, he begins by talking about the lessons his father taught him. He worked in a, a, a chemical engineering plant, I think, in Athens. And his father would uh, come back really excited and place on the kitchen table different lumps of different, different metals. And he was working with his son then, like uh, a very early, uh, early age, his, his uh, son, a young Yanis got to see what were the melting points of uh, solids, solid metals. Wow. And so he, he began to see things like, um, it, I think, is it, is it copper that melts down and you, you add you add tin and it becomes bronze? Or it, it's one of those, you'll have to look it up. Yeah, the people. alloys, all but, the different. But, but, but the alloys, but once you've got that technology, then, then that's the Bronze Age. So we talk about civilizations there. So if you know how to create the material tool or technology of bronze tools, then you can plow the field, create a shield, um, create a sword that's going to snap the uh, wooden sword or spear in yeah. half. You're going to be able to protect yourself, you're going to be able to win the war, win the territory, win the power, and your your civilization will become uh, preeminent. Right, and by, by default, that having more power, having more stability, allows the development of knowledge in something like science or art or in other areas too. You can't really have a very advanced scientific society if, if you cannot protect the field, right? Like you can't protect your people. Right. So I guess in like that kind of sense, you have that connection between money, power, knowledge, perhaps in that some relationship there. Yeah. And he, what well, he is actually, um, yeah, Yuval Noah Harari, uh, he's actually quite dismissive of the agricultural revolution when we when we settled uh, in communities. He's he's he says he speaks about that or writes about that in a, a very reductive. He says that's really reductive because we we were uh, hunter gatherers. We weren't tied down. Like if you think now uh, of the price of a mortgage and the, the thirty year millstone uh, that that's going to pay off like this. Uh, that tiny flat opposite us that's probably 10 million Hong Kong dollars and it will be a, a burden forever. But anyway, <laughs> back, back in these societies where you were, uh, maybe he's being too idealistic because because maybe you don't want to be like constantly on the move, constantly yeah. worrying where, where your next meal is from. But 
that um, so so as a civilized civilizing epoch, it, it sounds really good. But I think he's his sympathies are probably with the workers in the fields because now their vivid life experience, their ability to contact nature, cross a river, sail down streams, camp out under the stars. Now they're reduced to being they are the they are the material tools within the economic system and they're exploited by those who are in power and uh, so yeah uh, technology i think is not necessarily a, a, a good thing and that there are other kinds of non-material types of knowledge that we miss out on if uh, if if we machinate the human spirit uh, and we become a component Yay. within an industrialized process uh, or um, wow. yeah there's so a few ideas that there, yeah, yeah uh, that leads me to a lot of things i remember at the start when we sat down we were chatting about ai and this and you're kind of alluding to that development that that's coming and change will change sort of everything that we do and everything that we know and the way that we interact um I, this cup of tea that I'm having, and you yeah. mentioned the teapot and all of that. Um, I was reading, I, I was listening to a podcast, and I just pulled it up here. I was looking at it, was from I think it was King Milkman, as a she does a choiceology, is a financial podcast that I sometimes listen to. But she referred to this book called The Knowledge Illusion, right? Have you heard of this? It's, it's like, um she talked about, I guess, this the illusion of explanatory depth. Okay. And what it is, is this idea that people think they have more knowledge than they do mm. because it's easy to mistake community knowledge for your own. So, for example, she mentioned explain how a ballpoint pen works. And we're all like, they would rate someone, uh, they, you would rate yourself, like, how well do you think you could explain that? Probably like an eight or a nine, I could probably explain that. Yep. But then when you sit down and actually try to explain it, Realize you have actually no idea. Right. Oh, it's something like a zipper. How does a zipper work? Yeah. You kind of start looking at it and you're like, shoot, I don't. We're, we're abstracted. How does that work? <laughs> abstracted from how these things are and produced. Right? Disconnected, right? Yeah. So in some ways, the material tools, we lose a bit of connection because we have developed so far beyond and we have this like shared community knowledge. We don't actually know. We just take for granted. Like, how did that building get there? I would have the least amount of clue how to build something like that. I mean, I could try. I've built sandboxes. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I don't know. How would I install that window? Well, I mean, I could try, but I don't think it would look quite as straight. Yeah, I yeah. Like, I, I think I'm, I'm really absolutely useless at stuff like that as well. So, like, my, my, my father was pretty, pretty good mechanically, you know. I think you, you you change the oil and like yeah. I guess like I could I could change your tire and stuff like that but the uh with, with all this stuff um the, the new technological age uh like what what would you do if your Tesla breaks down no no idea uh you you'd have to call a specialist out so I think with but are, there, are those more skills I mean it's, it's knowledge within this but I suppose that we would want to. We could define that as knowledge, as knowledge in the mower, knowing how to do things. Yeah. Uh, but, but producing things like producing knowledge within mathematics, 
within the arts is is something else but think about it for a second because all those things enable us to access levels of knowledge that if we did not have those i would if we did not have the community knowledge that we have now we would still be back trying to figure out how to carve into that little cone and write that sentence so that we can communicate our message right we would be very much further back without that shared knowledge and so in some ways like the, the it, it enables us it's essential it's, it's like inequivocally important like you cannot how important well what a stupid question because we would have none of what we have without those materials rules then on the other hand with ai and direction of like the disconnection you're talking about it's also not important is the wrong word it's also like dangerous and where are we Could going be, yeah so i i another book i brought down i haven't even, haven't read it yet but i was thinking about like what's what's not a material tool and and maybe it's your thinking your cognition and so so certain types of knowledge we we, we do work within i, I know tok is tricky enough it's still very difficult sometimes to get my head around it so these students come to the course and okay it's, it seems so so broad and so deep but also really quite limited because you've got five different areas of knowledge so the knowledge that we're concerned with is the knowledge of science and technology it's not the the knowledge or the ancestral knowledge i think yeah. like to your idea there of uh some some cultural knowledge a shared ancestral knowledge uh that, that builds histories and communities like an oral storytelling knowledge of an aboriginal or first nations community or at the moment we're, we're looking at ethical perspectives and so where do these come from um probably i i amartya sends uh the idea of justice our society and i think i, I can say this in hong kong uh because i you know i think that the um the legal the legal system comes from the same place as are you from america or yeah uh, i'm from from the from the, the uk and so, so we're, we're we're influenced so heavily by uh, the duty ethics of um judaic uh, old testament uh, yeah. ten commandments uh, and we're also influenced by greco-roman uh, laws and statutes um and and those have coalesced into the the, the the laws and the customs and and then the books and then the fictions that bind us all, all together and and we, we so we we have a shared kind of global understanding of certain elements but it seems that the ib itself could be a bit of a production line to get students good grades to go to university to join it to join the economy to to uh, pursue that narrow definition of, of knowledge being from a, um, a scientific or technological process so like is, is it new knowledge or is it just quicker ways more efficient ways yeah. the algorithms are speeding up the computer processing speeds are are going into uh yeah the exponential growth is stratospheric but, but I, th I think that our last century has been um such a such an incredible series of leap forwards because if you if you took yeah. the um the data from the is it called i think it's called the holocene which is the the period of e human mm. civilization which is recorded um i went to a cop 28 deconstruction by professor robert Gib Gib gibbons and uh, he, he's a professor at 
the University of Science and Technology, and he and Natalie Chung as part of the youth delegation from Hong Kong, went and they shared these graphs, which I can share with you and, 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 and your viewers, but 800,000 years, and you can see the cycles of uh, carbon emissions and the temperatures, and they're constant, 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 up until about, is it 10,000 years ago or so? 11,700. Where, where we settled, and yeah. uh, after settling, nothing much changes for a couple of thousand years and a few more thousand years pass we go from the bronze age and into the iron age and all of a sudden we hit the industrial age uh, and yeah. into the cities and then we have the renaissance then we have the enlightenment then we have the industrial revolution and from that moment yeah. that's only 300 years ago uh and and all of these uh, and then we can see like the carbon emissions the impact of uh human man-made climate change unmistakably on those graphs rising up and not even being contained by the parameters of the axes yeah um and, and then the things that allow us to test that of course are the incredibly refined tools uh uh in in, you know, in the cern reactor or developed in the nasa laboratories um that, that that can give us these specific empirical measurements which which could be the you know, the, the evidence that we need to make when we intuitively think oh it could be it could be that there might there might be too many people on the planet or, or things like that i i think as a, a an art teacher a literature teacher i yeah. i should step back from statements like that where uh, i'm interested in sustainability so i've, I've got a vested interest yeah in I, don't the bias have, of... I don't have the science but <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm reporting the science of a University of Science and Technology professor anyway, and he was saying at the COP28 conference, the, the knowledge we have and is, is almost uh, universally accepted by the scientific community at least, but uh, our call to action has been suppressed because those who have the power to influence what we think is, is valuable or important or worth funding or is profitable yeah it's been pointed uh, at, at other areas yeah actually i mean that's a the, one of the biggest ethical concerns there is what's worthy of investigation very fundamental question if you look at how that's being answered right now it's economy and stability of nations or of at least powerful nations i often end up in this place quite frightened with like the power of what we know and that collective knowledge that I, I'm sort of just a bystander to, you know, I mean, I, I'm well read, I'm well educated, I have a good grasp of things going on. But if you were to plunk me down and you know, start this whole thing again, I've got nothing. Right. And and right. that makes each of us as our on our own are that way. Mm. And there's so there's this power of the tools and the machines that we build that now hold us up at this certain level of knowledge and, and, and shared, I don't know where we're going, but yeah. we run this risk of letting it all get away from us in a sense, you know? If none of us individually know or understand and we rely on the collective and then we're building tools that also rely on the collective and suddenly can exists without us mm. oh yeah then we it's a bit frightening it, really. it, oh, yeah. like, so and this exponential curve that you're talking about it it changes what the chart is entirely like where yeah. well uh, daniel schmachtenberger 
Uh, he's in there's a very good podcast with uh, he's in conversation with Ian McGilchrist and John Vervaek, and they're they're exploring what the the meta crisis. Oh. So in in Eric Fromm's The Sane Society, he's writing in the 1950s, and he's saying that in a in a nuclear age where we can annihilate ourselves, that uh, people's focus in, in the, uh, American consumer society in the middle of the 20th century mm. is focused on consumption. So uh, those those tools for science and creating knowledge within science and technology, I think maybe it's it's something different to to wisdom, which is knowing when to apply when to apply certain of the technologies or tools that we have at our disposal. I think the the Leonardo DiCaprio film, The Revenant, is a good one. For yeah, this. you can see him uh, cast into the uh, like he's out there just barely surviving. Yeah, and and using really like stone age really tools yeah. to hack his way inside the reindeer's belly to survive the night and then use its uh use its coat as 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 as, as, a, as a waistcoat and then he so he's using tools in survival mode yeah yeah now, but now we we've created these tools and they're so fantastic and efficient and, and well designed that they are all it seems that they are causing our downfall perhaps um, perhaps i mean in, in some ways they would also be the same tools that would enable us to to stop our own downfall i hope i mean i guess now we're getting just a bit philosophical yeah, but like but <laughs> it's okay I, I mean it's just part back, of tea okay you, you find yourself in the in that sort of abyss of we'll never know and i wonder but yeah i mean i think I think young people, at least I remember when I was young, I, I always grappled with these kinds of issues. I think it's quite common, especially now. Our kids are, they have been born and have grown up knowing that the world around them is kind of in a really bad place. Like we have handed them this place that is polluted and they've been told is dying ever since they were born. Mm. And so, it's natural for us to think like, what are we going to do? How is this going to, how are we going to get out of this? We've built all these things and are, now we're here at this, we're, I, again, I'm coming, getting a little away from the question, but how important are these material tools in terms of the knowledge we're producing and the world around us and how we're finding out they're going to be just as important in getting out of it as it is, has been getting us into it. Yeah, well, Ian McGilchrist is, because I think we should try and get some hopeful, optimistic messages in. Uh, yeah, okay. And, and he, he, he's saying, <laughs> he's saying like the, the wisdom, we've already got it. Uh, it's in it's in all of the ancient texts. It's in like the, the Tao Te Ching, uh, uh, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, the, these, these prophets who all are uh, uh, the proponents of the golden rule and kindness to strangers we we do have that knowledge but maybe that 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 that, that knowledge and wisdom has has been left behind which, uh, to, to draw it back to the question that's that's like thinking isn't it so at ichk we've got a, a subject called human technologies where we we say there are material technologies but there are also you could say that there are social and spiritual and cognitive, I... even somatic technologies, like the choices you make about how to, you, you, you've got your biogram, you've got your DNA, but there's certain things you can do with your body to train yourself, to 
reduce stress and breathing. You can technologize breathing. Um, but uh, co cognitive technology is like think, think, stop and think, uh, pause and stop and think, and uh, maybe reconnect with some of the 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 older wisdoms that that we do have. So pause and stop and think, and maybe we the tools are not as important as the material tools. Well, Amartya sends the idea of justice. Or uh, I highly recommend if, you, if your students are interested in ethics, the um, Professor Sandal Harvard Justice series. There's, there's a, it's incredible. There's 39 million views uh, on on YouTube, and it's the the Harvard undergraduates taking their law degrees. And oh. uh, he he he. Uh, he tells you like where 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 are some of these uh where 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 do our laws come from yeah and it's it's uh passed down like and i guess like from ancient greece ancient rome these philosophers with without many material technologies okay the ability to somehow write it down yeah there's and communicate that tools. knowledge and acquire it through so through, actually... through through schooling or through uh universities or uh schools of philosophy um but like Einstein, he didn't really use too many material tools. I, I listened to an yeah, earlier podcast of yours with um, right. Mr. George, the science one. Yeah, and, 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 and he, reason he was logic he and used pure mathematical that. reason. And then it was only later it's where he. It's not a tool, though. Oh, it could be, yeah. It's math has got to be, a, as an AOK, -okay, that's its like that's its strong point. It's, it is a tool for every other AOK. -okay. There isn't anyone else that does. There's no one that doesn't use math. Right. And if a tool is defined by we we put it to work for our yeah. benefit to, to solve things and so I, I think a nice answer to this would be like well on one hand they're they're it's a stupid question they're insanely important yeah and on the other actually no wait we already have the wisdom we don't need the tools we act the tools are in us we're born with that uh, and then or in the middle somewhere tools are important but only to a point you know you can have that's that I always give this sort of advice with the exhibition, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I found it works quite well, is to have, like, don't think about the objects. Think about your answers to the question. And then pick your objects that give you, like, different viewpoints on that same question. Right. Like, you can have, like, a yes, no, and a maybe, or, like, a sometimes and always and never. Or, like, they could be all, also more subtle as well. I think so. I think so. I I'd like to give a plug if I can to oh, yeah. a really really good that. museum. Yeah, in Chaiwan there it's uh, the Pillards. Uh, they have a the little museum of the world, and it's in it's an industrial unit in Chaiwan, and uh, you go in there and they've got like two small rooms, but it's packed with hundreds of objects, and they've got things like Stone Age tools. They've got uh, dinosaur bones, dinosaur eggs. They've got a fragment from the parachute that dropped Apollo 11's capsule back and so what one room is the prehistory of earth wow. uh, itself and then the, the the next room is the 20th century they have a, so it's open to the public i think it i think it's about to open and i think they they, they might uh they might very much welcome oh. proactive tok teachers I, to, or, or parents or students who are interested be careful they may get like bombarded they, i hope they do i hope they do but, but i would love to take a school trip there uh christian pillard's message is that there, there are these science and technology tools but their their ultimate goal with this museum is is to build peace 
uh, to understand where we are and where we've come from. And I, I've got uh, my final book here is The Vanishing Face of Gaia by James Lovelock. Oh. He's a, a NASA scientist who devised a, a very fine tool that was able to read in, in, the, in the biosphere and atmosphere traces of, I think it might be carbon or whatever else. And it, it, his idea was, well, if you can put this, this thing, rather than having to go to the surface of Venus or the surface of Mars and test the soil, and that could be a really like, you're going to just land on the surface of an entire planet and hope that you might find the dust that contains evidence of the trace of life. <laughs> it's so far-fetched. But he was saying that uh, living organisms create, uh, you know, the, the, we, we, we breathe in oxygen, we breathe out carbon dioxide. And if you, if you can test the atmosphere, and the atmosphere has traces of certain gases or elements, and you can, then you can prove that there is light, there is likely life on that planet because um, there must be some kind of ecosystem uh, that's creating these by byproducts, and um, yeah. So, so bringing it back to the Apollo Eleven um, fragment of the parachute, there's various other space paraphernalia and some amazing things from a, a friend of his who's Jack Cousteau's oh. dive buddy. But, but he's saying, well, the role of that was to take the space to land on the moon, a giant step for mankind indeed, but also allowed us to see uh, as, a, as a byproduct the Earthrise photos that allowed us to see yeah. how uh, Carl Sagan describes us. It, it says that the pale blue dot, yeah. um, that's from a later voyage of mission. Of... But the, the fragility, yeah. the uniqueness, the, the aloneness and the need to preserve yeah. this fragile planet um so that's what kind of knowledge is that that's that's philosophical it's holistic it's, it's a spiritual awakening self-knowledge as a result of scientific knowledge production oh beautiful oh yeah that's a yeah, so there, there's a, there's a hope message yeah <laughs> maybe we should wrap up i think thank you so much for taking the time to come and meet me and your dog, like, he seems happy. Yeah, he's just chilling and watching yeah. the cars go by. It's a rather cold evening, isn't it? It's been a cold few days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah thank you so much. Okay, so all the books, I'll put some notes um, in the show notes so people can check out, follow up with some of the ideas. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 a couple of um couple of good books, a couple of like, optimistic podcasts so kate rayworth she's a oxford economist the donut economics oh yeah podcast I, I just listened to her that's a hopeful message that if we can okay. nibble away what you know nibble away and use what we need uh, we don't have to, to go back to the cave yeah uh, but but not to yeah gan it away and gobble away be way beyond our planetary boundaries yeah um so i think yeah knowledge should have some utility it should be should we're not just we're not just studying for the exams. We're not just we? doing it for navel gazing. It's yeah. it's not, and it's not for the exams either. Yeah, yeah, it's a hopeful message too, especially for our grade twelves. Yeah. I said I doubt. I think they might beg to differ. Right now, it's probably all they care about. Oh, they're but in the, they're probably in the, the last mind. ones listening to this podcast anyway. Well, good good luck. You know, I have good luck I have a, a student that continues to listen, and she's graduated. Mm. So she'll uh, hello Charlotte if you if you're listening. Hello, Charlotte. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you guys. Thank you very much, Emily. Thank you. Thank you.